everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, Daryl Grove is still not with me. He is in Boston at time of recording. Uh, but if you hear this when the show comes out, which is Thursday, uh, show should be out Thursday morning. Daryl and I will be recording a listener question show Thursday afternoon, which should be out Thursday evening. If all goes to plan, we shall see. But until then, uh, making his return appearance on the Total Soccer Show, it's a week of uh, return appearances. Sam Tai was yesterday. Today, we've got Manuel Faith, newly of Transfermarkt.com. Manuel was previously with us to talk about the Bundesliga. He is here with us today to talk about the Bundesliga. We talk about the title race that is shaping up. We talk about Americans uh, in the Bundesliga, including Chris Richards, Gio Reyna, John Brooks, Josh Sargent, Zach Steffen, Tyler Adams. Uh, We also talk about some other clubs aside from the title contenders, including Fortuna Dusseldorf, Hertha Berlin, and Schalke. We don't go deep on Weston McKinney, but we still talk about Schalke. We also talk a little bit about the close of the January window and what uh, Manuel's coverage was like on deadline day and how kind of absurd it can be at times. Uh, Lots of other great topics in there as well. So I will stop with the introductions and instead say... Joining me once again is our friend from Germany slash Canada, I should say. It's Mr. Manuel Fate. Manuel, thank you so much for making a return appearance. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, very well received, your first appearance. We talked a lot about the Bundesliga. We're going to do the same thing this time. But first, uh, since last we spoke, you have a new gig. Tell us about it and how it's going. Yeah, so I'm the new lead for um, Transfermarkt USA or, you know, running the English content for the U.S. market. Um, the official title, the title is Area Manager for Transfermarkt. And those who don't know Transfermarkt, first of all, shame on you because you probably used it yep. at least once in your lifetime. If you if you watch soccer, look up player names, any player name on the planet, we have them in our database. It's the mm-hmm. world's largest database. Um, so my job is pretty much to create the content that to, for people to be able to find the the massive amount of data that we have um, because it is incredibly large. Um, you know, I'm just getting familiar with it myself. 700,000 players, I believe, uh, 50,000 coaches, 11,000 agencies. It, it's an enormous amount of data. Um, we have all the stadiums, all the leagues, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm basically creating the content for the U.S. market. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing because I get to do the same thing that I've done previously. I get to write articles on European football so a lot of bundesliga content we actually have a guy who creates uk content as well so a lot of the uk content that you will find on us will not be from me it will be from daniel bush and um i get to still write about the bundesliga uh, which is which is fantastic as well and transfer rumors come on who doesn't love transfer rumors they're the best (laughs) so it's like the best thing ever (laughs) they certainly help with the clicks they certainly do i love transfer marketing uh to be able to find out like the little pieces of information that uh, mm-hmm. I often need, like uh, what their dominant foot is, uh, secondary positions. You all have the nice map of where they can play. Uh, agents are sometimes listed on there, so that you've got that little, like those little bits of detail that agents, are always very useful. Um, but then, the, oh, sorry, go ahead. We got all the agents. Yeah, every, which which is great to know. One. Like whenever there's a random move from a player to a random club, it's always interesting to look up and be like, oh, it's the agent. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Now the connection makes sense. But the written content is a thing that I hadn't really focused on as much until you uh, you move there. And since then, I've been enjoying everything you're working on, including the uh, the Jesse Marsh uh, interview. You got to speak mm-hmm. to him for an extended, in-depth amount of time. Uh, how was that? And how yeah. is he when he's being interviewed? Because he seems pretty high energy to me. So I imagine him doing like five other things at once but still giving you good answers 
He is great. Um, this is the second time I've spoken to him. It's the first time I got to speak in depth. Um, we actually arranged this over a telephone because they were in a training camp in Qatar, right? So this was at nine o'clock at night, I think eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday for me. And it, it went really well. I mean, you give him a question and he will give you an in-depth answer. And um, the the things, the knowledge that he has and the, the things that he's built in a short time at, at Salzburg is, is just incredible. And he has a very clear understanding of what he wants his football to be like and has a very clear mind when it comes to describing on how how that football is supposed to be played right and he's very good at describing it in a way so that you and i will understand it mm-hmm. <laughs> which is which is very nice because very it useful, makes for yeah. it makes it also makes it for a much easier read because i think in the interview the article that i wrote on him um it made it it was really easy to really convey the his thought process on on what soccer is supposed to be like for him and i i really thought that was very refreshing now with his like his role with salzburg obviously he's helped uh facilitate the moves of players like uh, minamino and uh holland uh but Mm. i wanted to ask you what your thoughts are on his sort of relationship to those players and other players coming through salzburg in terms of they were there before he was there obviously but i i have to believe his coaching at least somewhat helped them develop to where they are how much credit do you think he deserves for those moves for where those players are in their careers or is it sort of like he was part of the process that was already underway i think when you look at the the red ball clubs it's always part of a process right but with that in mind they are extremely good at selecting personnel that fits that the thought process and the development process it's it's always when a piece leaves like marco rosa for example left for gladbach right the next person is already in line to take over and not only curate what's already there but to improve on it and i think that he's very much done that i was very fortunate that i spent um, a few days in salzburg before the champions league game against liverpool and i went to the training session and it's it's um it's interesting watching him the way he works with his players it's very collegial very oh you know on the same level um i think that really helps when you have a young squad like they do in salzburg i mean a lot about what they do in Salzburg, and I, I know they don't like to hear that, right, is about player development. And uh, some of those players are supposed to go on to the big club in Germany, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is something that they don't like to hear, but we, we've seen the player movements. There's been 18 players that have gone from Salzburg to Leipzig. I mean, we have that statistic on Transfermarkt. It's it's kind of hard to ignore. Yeah. And it's just the reality of it. And I personally don't have a big problem with it because a lot of clubs around the world are going that way. There's a lot of other sports. You and I live in North America. We 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 have the reality of farm teams is ever present. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's just how sport is going. Um, I can see why some people don't like it. I personally don't mind it. But I think that also for him, that means that they really looked at to bringing in a person that can work with that um, framework and is good at not only developing players, but also developing himself as, as a personality. Because he went from the big club, Leipzig, right, as an assistant mm-hmm. to Salzburg. So it is a step from being the head coach at New York, the assistant at the first first European club in Leipzig, and then being a head coach at a club that is, yes, supposed to be a place in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. And that is a big step. 
so I want to talk a bit about the Bundesliga. I want to talk about Leipzig uh, and where they are on the table. But first, I want to start at the very top. Uh, since last we spoke, uh, Bayern have regained their customary position at the top of the table. Leipzig one point behind, Dortmund and Gladbach both two behind. Uh, of those three, Leipzig, Dortmund, Gladbach, which do you think is the in the best position uh, to challenge Bayern in the Rukrunda? The table has been... Uh... You mean it looks like this now? I'm I'm at the game on Sunday between mm-hmm. Bayern and Leipzig, and we could very well have. I think we could have four teams on 42 points, um, <laughs> which is it's remarkable. It'd be so interesting. I could I could tell you that um, Gladbach are in the best position to challenge them, but I could be completely wrong by mm-hmm. the way the results are going on the weekend. I, I could say the same about Dortmund. They have been just absolutely streamrolling everyone in the Bundesliga ever since Haaland joined. But then they were also knocked out by Werder Bremen yesterday in the Pokal. Yeah. And um, I could say that Leipzig, you know, had a very good spell in the, the Hinrunde, started well in the in the Rückrunde, but then also have been kind of off the boil for the last two matches. But that doesn't mean anything because we've seen Bayern start very well into this season and then everything completely fell apart for them and then you know flick took over they played very well against dortmund and then they lost to leverkusen so you just don't know right it's it could go things are so unpredictable in this league at the moment which is a wonderful thing and i think from what i've seen maybe to answer your question i think that the team that i've thought has been the best in the bundesliga has been dortmund and because of Haaland's addition they it's just such an such a big piece that they brought in and to have that guarantee that you have a player who will score one or two goals every game for you. So if Bayern were to slip up, if they were to lose that spot at top of the table, which, as you said, is distinctly possible, also distinctly not possible, what are the areas that you think that could cause them problems in the second half of the season or uh, certain positions that maybe they don't have the depth they would like? Yeah, squad depth is is a big one. Um, The the, it's an article actually I did last night on Leroy Sané, right? And mm-hmm. the, the way that transfer fell fell apart for them because a lot of people thought, well, maybe they're bringing him in January. And uh, the, the the fact that it fell apart because Leroy Sané switched agencies. He went from Beckham to mm-hmm. uh, Lyon Sports. And the, that means that um, although he switched agency officially on December 31st, there's a three-month notice period, which means they couldn't negotiate anything during the January window, which is unfortunate um but i guess that's how it was um so they couldn't really do anything about bringing him in they brought in um alvaro otriosola from real madrid it's a loan deal i'm not sure what he's supposed to add to the squad if you can't play for real why are you supposed to play for bayern Mm -hmm. it's my personal opinion i see those two clubs on the same level and um as well as alfonso davies has done on left back and as well as david alaba has been playing as center back those are those are two areas where those two players are playing out of position, right? And whenever you have players playing out of position, even though they do very well in that, that's a sign that you are lacking in those, in those positions in those areas. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that Bayern are only one or two key injuries away from, from being in big trouble. And I think that even Perisic's injury, for example, is is a huge blow for them. Um, And it shouldn't be, and they're, they're talking about, about all these players coming back. But every time it seems a player is coming back, another one is going out. Mm-hmm. And that's because the squad is just not very deep. And I look at Leipzig or Dortmund, and I, I think, think when it comes when it comes to squads de- squad depth, 
Um, I think then when you look at Borussia Dortmund and uh, Bayern, uh, Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig, I think their squads are just a little bit deeper than Bayern Munich. Um, so we did have a question from a listener. Ryan Downey was curious. Uh, you seemed very well positioned to answer this one as opposed to myself and Mr. Grove. Um, is Alfonso Davies, do you think, more valuable as a left back or as a more forward attack minded player? I'm in the camp and I still hold on to that. And I think he's done phenomenally well as a left back, which just shows the enormous talent that he has. And I think that um, the way he has played that position is incredible. Um, But I still think he's an attacking player. I think that through and through his, his best ability is by playing further forward. Uh, I think he can compensate for a lot of the defensive issues that he has because he's not a defensive player. It's just by his enormous speed. He's very good at making up for his positional play by basically catching up with other players because he's extremely fast. And that, that's an asset, but it's something that could be found out. And that's, I think, something that clubs sooner or later will find out and maybe not necessarily some of the lower echelon Bundesliga sides that he has faced. But, you know, they're playing in the Champions League against Chelsea. It's a good team. And they're going to face some bigger teams, including, I think, Leipzig on Sunday is going to be an interesting test. So I think that for him, he's doing phenomenally well. I think he's making the most out of an opportunity given to him. And I think he's showing that he can play on the highest level as a left back. But I would love to see what he can, using all those tools, would love to see them in a more attacking role. And I think there's a chance that if Lucas Hernandez comes back, then Lucas Hernandez could play in the center back role. Alaba could play, go switch back to left back, and then Fonzi could fill out that Perisic role. Um, and I think that would be very interesting to see. Is he being called Fonzi? Please tell me he's being called Fonzi. We we call him Fonzi. Yeah. <laughs> That's outstanding. Um, we are obviously made, he's made his way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he bumps the jukebox too. I, I hear if he needs yeah, music to play. Does. Yeah, too <laughs> um, much free time in my opinion, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Brooklyn Nine Nine video—that was that yeah. made me very very happy. Yeah, <laughs> um, we are obviously an American podcast, so I have to ask about all Americans involved. Uh, Chris Richards uh, still with Bayern, but not uh, getting many minutes. Uh, is there any chance we see him get uh, more first team minutes or any first team minutes in the second half of the season, given some of the lack of defensive depth? He went to Qatar, right? And there was so. at the training camp of them. And I'm actually kind of surprised we didn't see him play yet. But I think Hansi Flick has been very happy with David Alaba playing in that centre back role. And then, now, of course, with Lucas Hernandez now slowly coming back, I, I think it's he's going to be probably confined a bit to that to that uh, team in the third division that they have, the Bayern Amateure, which is too bad because I think he's a good player. And maybe we're getting to a point now where in the summer it might be worth for him to go out and alone somewhere and play play some significant minutes, maybe in a second division team or uh, maybe even a lower echelon Bundesliga side. Because I do think that he is he's a very talented player, and I know that Bayern. Um, think of him very highly but they're in a real title clash this year right uh, we've mm-hmm. we just spoken about the table and defensive defensive areas is the ones where you coaches are tend to experiment the least so um i wanted to 
maybe close it up on Bayern Munich. We've talked uh, a decent bit about them, but I have two more questions for you, both of which relate to Manuel Neuer. Uh, the first one is slightly more serious than the second. Uh, it's been announced uh, Alexander Nubel uh, from yeah. Schalke will be joining Bayern this summer on a free. So I'm wondering what happens, uh, what do you think happens with Manuel Neuer over the next like season and a half or so? And secondly, I think I saw you tweeting the other day that there was a period of time uh, after Bayern had already locked up the title when Pep Guardiola was still in charge that he <laughs> contemplated starting Manuel Neuer in midfield, and I'm wondering how much truth there is to that and how you think he would have done. So it's a, a two-part question with a couple sub-questions in there as well. Oh, it's true. Really? It's 100% true. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's start with that one. It's uh, That was in the um, the Bayern magazine, the, uh, the 51 it's called, named after the um, Sebener Straße 51. That's the address uh, where the headquarters are. Yeah, it's 100% true. Karl-Heinz Rummenigge said that in, in an interview, and um, which means it's it's a hard card. Um I think he would have done very well. He's, <laughs> he's, I still think um, that he is the best goalkeeper with his feet on the planet, and he has been very, very good this year. I think the, the times where we thought of him maybe declining because of you know injury concerns and his lengthy spell on the sideline, I think those are long past. I think he's firmly established himself as as the best keeper in Germany, maybe perhaps the best in the world, because I, I watch a lot of other goalkeepers and, and some of them are very good, but nobody can match him when it comes to playing with the with the ball. It's He's second to none in that regard. And I think that is something that is very hard to match because he's on top of that. He's also phenomenal on the line and has, has all the, the basic goalkeeper skills. But the fact that he can play pretty much so far out of his goal makes makes him one of the best. Now about Nübel, it's it's an interesting one for me. First of all, I think that Schalke really screwed that one up because they kind of overlooked a contract clause um, under under the Heidel reign. Um, he was if he was supposed to have an automatic contract extension um, with an agreement that he would go out on loan, right? If he fails to play a certain amount of games. And then he, um, Tedesco, the former coach, put him into the net when they were in relegation battle. And he hit that clause, but they kind of forgot about it. That's interesting. <laughs> so, which meant that this, that, yeah, which meant his contract clause, uh, ex- he meant his contract was up in 2020 rather than 2021, right? Huge difference, by the way. Um, so they got kind of late to the negotiations. And uh, at that point, he kind of, because Nubel was actually willing to to negotiate a new contract, but they never really got around to it. And by the time they finally got around to it, he wasn't really that interested anymore because he's just, you know, played phenomenally. And really quickly, people realized that this is an enormous talent. So Schalke kind of screwed this one up. And if you buy in and you, you sniff, you have a sniff of any top German prospect in the Bundesliga going out on a free contract, they're going to get you. Um, yeah, it seems you know, to go that way. It, 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 it's just the best at that. Now, it is an interesting move for Nübel because if you're a young goalkeeper, you want to play, right? That's that's the, the thing you need to do to develop. But he's going now to Bayern where Manuel Neuer is all of a sudden again possibly one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the best goalkeeper in the world, you're not going to play. You're only going to play if Manuel Neuer allows you to play. But Manuel Neuer is, I, I spoke to Neuer um, in the fall, and he's someone who always wants to play. He wants to play every game. He would play friendlies. You know, he would play uh, training matches. He wouldn't even sit outdoors. He wants to play every single minute. And that's going to be an interesting one. How are you going to tell you 
keeper who's defined an entire era who's still one of the best that you like okay look you will have to sit out a few now so we can develop this other guy your successor i i don't know and it's going to be an interesting one to uh, to watch for sure Hey, folks, much more still to come from my conversation with Mr. Manuel Faith. Uh, but first, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Policy Genius. The year 2020 shows up a lot in science fiction. A lot of people predicted that by now we'd be teleporting to work or living on Mars. Uh, I think we were supposed to be teleporting to work on Mars, I think is how it was supposed to go, but that hasn't been the case. And as it turns out, a lot of those predictions were wrong. The truth is, we will always get the future wrong, which is why we need to get life insurance right. And that's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare insurance policies, which you should do because, as we've already talked about, Things are uncertain. We know that to be the case when it comes to the transfer window. Anything can happen, including Odie Nagalo going to Man United. Who knew that was going to happen? So who knows what else is going to happen out there? And again, that's why you want to look at Policy Genius because they don't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home or auto insurance or disability insurance if that applies. So if your science fiction dreams for 2020 still haven't become science fact, do not get discouraged. Get life insurance. It takes just a few minutes to find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong. We better get life insurance right. Thank you very much to our friends at Policy Genius for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to my conversation with Manny. So going back to Shaka for a moment, um, saying they forgot about this clause in his contract seems like a fairly large mistake. Is that a sign of the way things are being run at the club right now in terms of their kind of like daily operations? Or is that more of just a sort of one-off error that maybe is a bit more forgivable? Those people have all moved on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> have they been moved on? Have they been moved on or they themselves moved on? Yeah, some, you know, the people in charge. Heidel, um, he, he stepped down. Um, he's firmly denying it. And I, I guess that's his word against the word of the club. Um, I know that Jochen Schneider, the people who are in charge right now, do a very good job. Um, they brought in David Wagner, right? We, we, of course, people in the U.S. know quite well, former U.S. national team player, and he's doing a fantastic job at that club. And I think if judging from judging from what they say and the way they work, I, I think I tend to believe them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that they there's a reason why House was cleared um, because. Look, a player like Nubel would have gone for 30 million euros on the open market. Yeah. That's that's a lot of money. And you cannot miss out on a transfer like that. And they sort of did. Um, you know, and that's I think that's something that's not going to be for forgiven for a long time. So they're currently uh, sixth Schalke, which is maybe better than we would have expected, yeah. uh, all things considered. Will they be able to improve this summer or to say missing out on that fee? Does that limit what they're able to do or do you still expect them to spend uh, some money in the summer? Yeah, no, I do think that they, they're going to do a few things. I, I, I think they did quite well by bringing in uh, Grigoric in, in the winter as well because he's, he provides them a new, provides them an option up front that they kind of are lacking. I think last time we chatted about the fact that they were missing a striker, right? Yes. And they've been, they've been linked to um, a numbers, number of players. Um, my, my buddy Chris Williams actually went to an interview there and he asked him about a few names and apparently the response was just smiles. Which I've learned means that yeah, that's true. Um, 
Okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a trick that that we've learned. Uh, you know, if they get if they shake their heads, then there's nothing to it. But if they just smile, then you probably hit hit a spot. Um, but <laughs> you know, they've been linked to a number of players, and I know that Gabriel Barbosa was linked to them quite heavily as well, which would have been a very expensive signing. I think he he just went back to Flamengo for thirty million dollars, I believe, which is the highest transfer fee ever paid in Brazil. So it would have been a lot of money. and they, But they got Grigoric on a loan deal from Augsburg. And I think he's a, he's a very good fit for them because he provides them with that extra little option. And I think they do. the results haven't been quite as good as they were in the first half of the season yet. But I do think that they actually look better. And you can see that development. And I don't think you know people were talking, oh, are they going to finish in the top four? I don't think... I don't think that was their personal aim anyways. I think they just want to do like have a better year than last year. And if they finish in the top six, that will be a good result for them. So we've talked Schalke. Let's talk their, their rivals, uh, Dortmund. This past weekend, Dortmund smashed five past uh, Union Berlin. Yet Marco Reus and Atraf Hakimi both looked very annoyed when they were substituted. And mm. I couldn't tell what to make of that one. So I wanted to hear your thoughts because I don't know if it was just competitors wanting to compete and not wanting to be subbed out because there are goals to be had and you want to be on the field. Or was that a sign that Lucien Favre maybe still is not the man to take Dortmund forward or still doesn't have the complete confidence of that squad? Well, they are saying it's because they wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you are on the field and you're currently smashing someone five nil and you just go and goes at will, um, you want to play. But I, I think they also they also said afterwards that they understood the coaching decision. I mean, they had um, they had a cup tie on Tuesday, right, <laughs> where they went out typical Dortmund fashion from going from very hot to very cold. Mm-hmm. And Marco Reus has actually picked up an injury in that game, uh, a muscle injury, and uh, will be out for four weeks. So I think that Faber had in mind resting some of his players, and I understand him why he did it. And I think you, you, when you look at the the result against Bremen and the fact that you know some of those players, um, they will be playing a lot of games because the, the Champions League is just around the corner as well, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that reaction, I think it was purely about those players wanting to play. And in general, I think it's great. Um, anyone who's played soccer and gets taken off the field is usually a little upset about it. I always, I, When I played, I always wanted to be on there as long as possible. And I always kind of resented it when I was had, had to sit it out. So I, I think it was mostly that. I think that, that Faber has really stabilized the situation. And I think him getting Haaland has been, has been very good. Now, of course, I say that. 24 hours after they went out of the Jam Cup, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is going to be interesting to see how they're going to respond um, to that on the weekend. They're playing Bayer Leverkusen. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to respond to that, how they're going to react to not having Marco Reus in the squad. He, I think he is still a very, very important player. I saw um, a tweet saying that all of a sudden Marco Reus looks like the weak link in, in the Dortmund attack. I find that very silly. Uh, very very silly by the way because um when you when you watch him play and you when you see the, the 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 way the players around him respond to his leadership and the way he structures the attack i i think there's a lot of things going on that would not happen without marco Reus. so he's alleged to be you would say erroneously alleged to be the weak link obviously the strongest link in dortmund's attack is not holland it's Gio Reyna. uh no it's holland but i want to talk to you Reyna. uh he did score in that 3-2 loss uh to bremen in the pokal or uh, in the cup uh, he's been getting limited minutes since uh, the Bundesliga returned to action. Uh, how do you see the remainder of his season playing out? Do you think we'll continue to see him getting kind of 13-minute-ish spells here and there? 
Yeah, well, he's playing, right? That, mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, and now with Royce being out, he's probably going to be playing a little bit more. It's, I, I think we, we've all aware of the enormous talent that he has, that he possesses, right? The, the, the way he came on in that cup game and uh, immediately made something happen. I mean, that goal, if, if you have not seen that goal, um, shame on you, go online, <laughs> find it. Um, the video that I retweeted from someone else has been banned since, but I, I know that in, in Canada, those games were on YouTube. I think ESPN has a highlight of it as well. So just yeah, go watch it because it's it's incredible. It shows everything that he can do, and I think he's going to get a lot of minutes. I, I know Lucien Favre is a huge fan of him, and I think we're going to see a lot of it. And then Dortmund things can go really fast. You know, you can go from the junior team to the first team to all of a sudden playing significant minutes very very quick. Where do you think he best fits in for Dortmund right now? Because my expectation was that we would see him sort of as a substitute wide attacker. But in that uh, game against Union, he comes in, I think, more as like a central striker who kind of drops in, does a little bit of false nine work. Where do you think he fits best for Dortmund? Oh, that attack is so flexible, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, he's not going to play where Haaland and Sancho are playing. I can tell you that. So <laughs> wherever they let him play. But I... <laughs> I haven't really nailed down a position for him yet um, because I feel like he can fulfill quite a lot of different roles in that attack. And um, you know that Haaland, if he's going to play, everyone else will have to be kind of playing around him. And Sancho can do that very well. Royce is, is perfectly made for that as well. And I think Reina fits right into that category. And I think that um, you you see, already seen some of the glimpses that he can provide, right? Whenever he does link up um, with Reina, so I I do think he's in that supporting role 100%. And when when Haaland is on the field, I think all the attacking midfielders are more or less in the supporting role for him. You know, give him the ball and let him do the rest. And this is a Dortmund team as well who, like when they sold Julian Weigel, I thought, like, ooh, that could be a mistake. They're getting rid of this this exciting player who fills a key role for them in the midfield. I don't know how they replace him. And then they go out and sign Emerjan, and that felt like a very smart signing, even if they paid a little bit uh, more than maybe would have been expected. How important do you think he'll be to Dortmund uh, in the second half of the season? Well, first of all, they didn't pay anything for him. For Emerjan? Um, they're not paying anything for him until the summer. Ah, okay, there it is. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, the, I think... This is a massive transfer, um, possibly more important even than Erling Haaland because Emil Schaan had very good years in Liverpool. He had one good year at Juventus and in last year, this year has not been so great. It just doesn't, I don't know, sorry. <laughs> like, just leave it at that. Yeah. But um, I, I think he is a winner through and through. He is someone who brings an enormous amount of personality to that team. And the game yesterday showed to me that Dortmund is still struggling quite a lot when it comes to the, the defensive play. And because of that, they brought in Emre Can. I think they had an abundance of midfielders. Emre Can can play in midfield 100%, um, but I think they're, they're planning with him as a centre-back. Hmm. And I think that he's going to slot in right next to Mats Hummels, and he is going to bring a lot of stability to that team. And that stability has been very, very necessary because they, even though they score a lot of goals, they also leak a lot of goals. Those goals against Werder Bremen were very, very avoidable. And um, you can't just trust 
that you will score five goals every game. It just doesn't work that way, right? So Haaland provides them with a guaranteed one to two goals a game. And I think Emerson is going to, together with Hummels, he's going to turn that defense into a brick wall. Um, so we've talked about a couple Americans. Let's talk about an American defender, since uh, he used to be a brick wall but is now sitting on the bench. Uh, there were reports that, reports that John Brooks had a falling out with Wolfsburg manager Oliver Glasner. Have you heard anything along those lines? Uh, this is the first I'm hearing, but it mm-hmm. doesn't really surprise me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because things are not going that well in Wolfsburg, um, just in general. So, it, you know, Oliver Glasner is um, not having the easiest time adapting from the Austrian Bundesliga to the Bundesliga. That site is looking, mm, it's still looking like it's finding its its mm-hmm. its its feet, you know. And it doesn't surprise me that certain players are not happy with the leadership provided especially because Glasner's style of football is a very difficult style of football and it demands a lot of discipline. And uh, we've seen that with coaches, right, that they come in and are very structured. Sometimes that works very well and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, Niko Kovac is a great example. I still think and still maintain Niko Kovac is a fantastic coach. He was the right coach for the wrong squad. And I think maybe that is the case with Glasner as well because when you look at how Bruno Labbadia handled things last year, and how things are going this year. Um, I think either they're going to have to sit it out and maybe build a squad that fits Glasner, and that might exclude players like Brooks, or Glasner will have to go and they will have to bring in um, a coach that fits the squad. So, yeah, so that's basically, long story short, that's why I'm not too surprised that there is discontent, and it's probably more than just Brooks. Uh, if, if Brooks were to continue to be on the outs at Wolfsburg, does he have the reputation of being a solid defender in the Bundesliga? Would you expect clubs to come in with offers for him? Or is he maybe going to be in a little bit of trouble if things don't get resolved, if they indeed need to be resolved? He is. I mean, Wolfsburg paid a lot of money for him back in the day. I think 25 million euros. It was yeah. a lot. Um, he has a reputation of being a very, very good defender. Now, the problem, of course, is he's also been out with injuries quite a bit. So I think, honestly, there is a market for him. Mm-hmm. If he needs to leave Wolfsburg, he's going to find a club in the Germany or, or in England. You know, um, English clubs spend money. They just do. Um, it's the first time I've covered the, the, the transfer deadline in England a little bit closer. And I, I've, there was players moving from club A to B. For in the 20 to 30 million euro range that I have never heard of before. Um, so, you know, they spend a lot of money on on silly things. So I think that there is definitely a market for someone with, like Anthony Brooks because he's actually a good player, right? Mm-hmm. And good players will always find clubs. And I, I have no doubt that if he had to leave, he will definitely be able to go somewhere. So things aren't going that great at Wolfsburg, but they're currently on 27 points. You would ex- expect them to be safe from relegation. That's not necessarily the case for uh, Werder Bremen. Josh Sargent hasn't had the best season either. Uh, he's still getting minutes, mm. though. Is his lack of production, do you think, down to him not quite being ready for prime time, not being ready for the kind of situation he's in? Or is it the weaknesses in the roster of Bremen that maybe he's not getting the supply he needs or he's not getting the chances he needs? Or is it possibly a combination of the two? Or he is 19. Or he's 19. That could be too. <laughs> I mean, he's such a young player, yeah. right? And it's such a difficult situation in Werder Bremen right now. I was in Bremen in 
oh gosh, in December. And a beautiful stadium, by the way. If you ever have the chance, it's it's right on the water. It's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful place. It's a great place to watch football. It's a beautiful city. And um, it's a club that has a long tradition in Germany. And on the night, still surprise, even big sides. I mean, again, Tuesday, they knocked out Borussia Dortmund, right? Josh Sargent did play in that game. And I thought it was a very thankless task for him because he came on for Davy Selke, who signed from Hertha Berlin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a Werder Bremen product. They then moved on to Leipzig, then moved to, to Hertha, now is back at Werder. Um, so he is in a little bit of a backup position there at the moment. Also, Sargent has had a lot of injury concerns. I think he missed some of the training camp as well with injuries. Um, they had to do a lot of running practice. So he's not 100% fit. And then on top of that, he's 19. And then when you take last last night's game, for example, it's a very thankless task because Werder were basically just looking to, to rescue that game, right? And once Haaland came on, it was like, oh boy, now we basically have to make sure we don't concede four goals because this side could very well score four goals. And that means it's just grinding out a result and um, that means as a striker you're not necessarily in a position where you're going to be um, having a lot of goal realms that goal, goal area situations and I think you saw that and he is in my opinion a forward that needs to be needs to be provided with balls in the area that needs to it needs to it needs to be just supplied and I think that's um, that, that is something that will come um, but I think also he's 19. Yes, <laughs> let's keep, we'll very, just keep reiterating that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a teenager, right? I mean, I didn't play in the Bundesliga as a teenager, and uh, to to play the minutes that he's already getting, I think is 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 quite quite impressive. Well, as I said, uh, Bremen uh, currently 16th on 17 points. Paderborn bottom of the table on 15. In between would be Fortuna Dusseldorf with 16 points. Uh, Alfredo Morales there permanently. Zach Steffen there on loan. Uh, what do you mm. think, based on what you've seen from Zach Steffen? Where do you think his sort of his ceiling, his ceiling might be, or where do you think his future lies? It seems unlikely to me that he goes back and like challenges for the starting gig at Man City. It feels like at best he's the sort of number two option. Um, or do you think maybe with his performances with Dusseldorf? that there will be some offers for him from maybe bigger Bundesliga clubs or elsewhere uh, come the summer. Yeah, so I spoke to uh, Lutz van Stiel mm-hmm. last weekend and uh, we we have a story up on that on Transfermarkt and um, we did speak a little bit about Zach Steffen because, you know, Lutz is of the opinion that he is a keeper that can become a top European goalkeeper. Um, had a lot of injury problems in the first half, even though he played almost every game, right? And um, the the big problem for him is his patella. Mm-hmm. He's he's been struggling with that ever since he's he's joined Fortuna and he's currently sitting out games just just to get ready and play again. I think that if Düsseldorf stay in the league, there's a high chance that he will extend his uh, loan deal there. And when it comes to Manchester City. I think that is a club that brings in a lot of players, but not necessarily plays them. Um, they see Zach Steffen as an asset, someone who they can flip. You know, um, if he does well in the Bundesliga for this year, the rest of this year, Düsseldorf stay in, he plays again very well, they're going to sell him on. Um, and I, I'm, I'm 100% convinced by that because they see those transactions where they bring in players that can do, can do well, but not necessarily a candidate from Manchester City, they see them as players that they can make money off, you know, generate income other than 
um, through, through what they're getting from the Qataris, um, or oh, sorry, Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. because um, of financial fair play. And I think this is this is a great example of that. I think they're going they're going to essentially flip sack Stefan, um, which should be okay for him because I don't think there's going to be a shortage of clubs wanting him um, because it's, it's very evident that in the, the games that he's had in the Bundesliga that he's very very capable of playing in one of Europe's top five leagues at a, at a very good club. So if it's not Fortuna next year, he will be playing somewhere else, um, whether it be in Germany or in England, because I think those are the two leagues where he's probably best suited for his style of play. Um, that will be remain that remains to be seen. Uh, you mentioned uh, your conversation with uh, Lutz van der Stiel earlier. Uh, he was one of my favorite people that we encountered in Germany, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, at least not in terms of our group, but in terms of the people that we were able to meet and interview and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, if Dusseldorf do go down, do you think there's any kind of threat for his his job security? Or is it given where Dusseldorf are, the money they're spending, the kind of size of the club, do you expect that it's more uh, accepted or acceptable if they do end up getting relegated? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I do speak to Lutz quite often, and I know that it's not an easy job for him. And I know that Düsseldorf are a difficult club, so maybe let's leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's let's uh, let's leave it there. Let's move a little bit further up the table to another sort of strange situation. Let's talk Hertha Berlin. Uh, as I said, they, they, a bit of a strange season. They brought in some some bigger name players uh, in January, although uh, Tusar I think goes back on loan until the summer. Um, Jurgen Klinsmann is in charge. They brought in those signings. What do you think is the expectation for them in the second half of the season, and then in the summer as well? Do you expect them to? continue to spend big to try to move yeah. even further up the table first of all they have to stay in the league right but well, there's um that. yeah there's that <laughs> uh, minor little detail they just spent 81 million euros uh, in the winter transfer market which is the most by any club in europe um it's a remarkable amount of money yeah. by i mean any club spending that much money that's a lot of money but for hertha to spend this much money it's just insane right um they, i was shocked when they brought in christoph Piotek. Because this is a player who a year ago cost Milan a lot of money and half of Europe was kind of after him, right? And uh, I guess half a bad season uh, where he still scored four goals in I think 10 games is good, is, is good enough for Milan basically to sell him for less than what they bought him. So, well, good luck to them and their management. But um, it's remarkable that Hertha all of a sudden are in the conversation for these players. I think Berlin as a city has always been world class. People want to live there and it's it's a place that's happening in Europe, right? And but Hertha has never really been part of that conversation. And I, I know that the investors, um, Lars Windhorst and his his millions and millions of dollars that have been now poured into this club, they believe that Hertha can be a they call it a big city club, um, actually in English. And I think that they really believe in that. Um, I think that Klinsmann is. In an interesting role there. We spoke about that last time too, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's a perfect role for him because he doesn't actually need to coach. He has people that coach for him. I think he has an entire army of coaches that he's hired to basically oversee the daily work. But he's such a he's a project manager. He sees this as a project management um, job, right? Um, so much he's so involved in it. In fact, that he at one point forgot his coaching license. I was going to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, that. Thankfully, got clear, clearly, uh, quickly cleared up, but probably also because it was Klinsmann and not some other coach. Um, I think, I think that it's an interesting that has the has an enormous amount of potential, but also has an enormous amount of potential to go sideways really quick. 
because of the amount of money spent and uh, the the culture change that is done very very quickly and I think sometimes things take time but yeah I, I at the same time I mean the reality is they're not trying to be winning games by you know playing aggressive attacking football at the moment they're, they're very pragmatic about their approach of how to stay in the league is to basically grind out results which is for me such an oxymoron because on the one hand you have these 81 million euros spent right that's just over the winter and then you have this team that's playing this pragmatic defensive football it's just like okay well you want to be this big city club but you at the same time i guess you have understood that before you want to be a big city club maybe you should stay in the bundesliga first um Last we spoke, your feeling was that uh, your speculation was potentially that Klinsman would move into more like technical director role and maybe somebody like Nikol Kovac would come in and take over as manager. Um, so we'll see if that ends up happening. But for now, uh, I wanted to ask you, and maybe I've asked you this as well, but maybe we'll go for an update. What, where does sort of Jürgen Klinsmann stand in Germany in terms of his reputation? Because he's this sort of, in my mind, beloved player, but then with the national team, with Bayern Munich, maybe a little bit exposed uh, in terms of his coaching ability. Wh- where is he now? How do you think he's perceived? I think people have this love-hate relationship with him that they either really like him and really like his charisma or they really despise his, um, you know, we have this this word for it, grinsy cleansy, uh, the smiling cleansman, mm-hmm. and um, they really despise him for that, for his almost his American smartness, because he very much become uh, defined himself as an American, right? And um, I think there's a lot of resentment towards. I personally see him as a very charismatic person. Um, I am in the boat where I think, okay, well, he's definitely not a great tactician, but I think he's a great builder. I think he has the ability to convince people that what they're doing is right and that his way is the right way. And I think he, he has that ability to do that um, with, the, with the players. And I, I think that if you give him the time and the resources, he will usually succeed. And that's my personal mm-hmm. opinion of him. I know that there's people in Germany, just like, I mean, in the States, I think it was the very much the same thing, right? There were people that really bought in and there were people that just absolutely despised him. And I think it's the same thing in Germany. I think the, the his perception, the perception of who Klinsmann is as a person is very much uh, similar. So Jürgen Klinsmann may not be much of a tactician. I would argue that uh, Julian Nagelsmann very much is. I was really, excuse me, Nagelsmann, before I I get corrected by you. Um, I was really impressed by what he did against Gladbach this past weekend, because Gladbach sort of, uh, Marco Rosa, in my mind, sprung a bit of a surprise, went with a back three. I think that caused some problems for Leipzig. And then at halftime, Nagelsmann makes some changes. It finishes 2-2. Probably still not the result Leipzig would have wanted, but I think those adjustments and that sort of ability to change things and make some big substitutions uh, had me very impressed. I'm wondering if you felt the same or if that was maybe an opportunity wasted for Leipzig. Yeah, we talk about this all the time on the Gegenpressing podcast. And Chris and I have this ongoing debate on how we think that Nagelsmann is this amazing tactician, but he usually has to correct his own tactics because he gets the starting 11 consistently wrong. <laughs> Not ideal? Not ideal, no, but he has the ability to see his own mistakes. And I think that is that of age. Uh, we have to remember he's still very young. 
when he started in the Bundesliga is 29, right? And I, I still think that um, the, the Gladbach game, he's very he's very good coming up with, with tactical plans and usually they work, but sometimes in big games, he overthinks things a little bit. And then he, you know, the game kicks off and things kind of go sideways for him. Um, we've seen this often, uh, especially in the Champions League with Hoffenheim. And then he's like, oh man, I need to correct this. And he corrects it and it works, right? And I think that's, he's still in that learning phase where he has to learn to maybe not overthink things to start with. Um, he's obviously, he can read the game very well because if you have the ability to see, okay, well, tactically, I've gotten this wrong and this is what I've got wrong. Let's put in this piece there and it works. That is an, that's a great thing to have, right? I think for him, he needs to sometimes... I think that he's going to play a certain way and it would make sense. And then he comes up with a completely different starting 11. I'm like, okay, what is he doing there? And then it doesn't work out. And he changes it to exactly what I thought he was going to do, right? Based on other games in the past. And then they turn around the game. And I'm like, well, why didn't you do this from the beginning? <laughs> right? So it's obviously, it's 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 that ability is very much there. But I sometimes wonder if he's, sometimes doesn't trust his own instincts or maybe because he doesn't have the experience yet, he's still trying to experiment a bit more, right? Mm -hmm. Which um, I think when you look at him, his development in like four or five years, you will not see that. And which is a scary prospect because if he doesn't need to turn games around anymore, his win percentage is already insanely high. Um, he's, he's going to be very, very successful. Um, but until he reaches that point, we expect he may still have to change some things, as he did uh, against Gladbach. As I said, I think two changes at halftime. The other one would be moving Tyler Adams, who started as like kind of a central, deeper midfielder in a 4-2-3-1. He moved him to right back, still had him getting forward, still had him playing central on occasion. I'm wondering how important you think Tyler Adams is for Nagelsmann, given the kind of versatility and ability to play multiple positions that he brings to that squad. Yeah, he likes uh, Tyler Adams quite a bit. I mean, everyone likes Tyler Adams. He's he's a fantastic player, and he has that ability to play um, several positions. I think they, I saw this this debate. I, I think I read the article in MLS Soccer about Tyler Adams playing right back, and Tyler Twelman posted something about it too. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I watched this game, and I can't recall seeing him play right back. Maybe they watched a different game than I did. Uh, because, uh, first of all, that position doesn't exist. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe this, I, I was, I was, I, I, re I had to actually rewatch part of it. And I'm like, what did they watch? And then I looked at the line. I'm like, I, I was, I actually thought it was going out of my mind because I, I couldn't, I, I didn't understand what was going on. So um, maybe one of those guys can get in touch with me and explain to me what they saw. But um that role doesn't really exist, uh, especially when when he plays in that three four um, three four two one that he has. He has also played likes to play in a three three two two, right? Um, you might see that Tyler Adams will play in a right midfield role where we, he will have to cover defensive space. Yeah, that's not a right back role. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's more of what he was doing against Gladbach. That's fair. Yeah, but that's not my definition of a right back. No, right? not so much. <laughs> that's uh, that's covering op occupying yeah. space, and I think that he's very good at occupying space. And if you tell Tyler Adams this is the area that you need to occupy and control, and control that space, 
that's what he does. Yeah. And he will try to move the ball as quickly through that area and try to control that area. Um, he's not and will never be a right back. A right back for me is like a left back, you know, who patrols up and down the flank and uh, contributes a little bit in the attack, but also shuts down shuts down the oppos- opponent's uh, wingers. Um, that's not his role. Never, never was his role at Leipzig. So I, I don't know. Um, it's maybe... It just made me laugh a little bit because I also kind of shows that Nagelsmann doesn't really think in those kind of static terms of positioning. He he thinks of players occupying the space well, right? And uh, I I think that is when you look at Tyler Adams and we be paying too much attention of where he's playing rather than how well he's playing and the the, the role that he fulfills when he plays in a certain position because. Does he play in the right defensive role sometimes? Yeah, he does, but he's not playing as a right back. So if you, we have the same debate in Canada with uh, with Alfonso Davies, right, mm-hmm. Tyler? Um, him playing as a left back for Bayern is not the same as playing as left back for Canada. No, <laughs> no, yeah, it's that, not. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not the same. I mean, you're playing completely different opponents. You're playing against completely different teams. Your role is very, very different, and it's also look at the the, the, the tactical systems are very, very different often, right? And also look at the players that you're surrounded with, right? When Davis plays left back for, for Bayern, he has uh, David Alaba right next yeah. to him, right? Who is a natural left back. So when Davis is out of position, you have the world's best left back ne- kind of backing you up, right? And at, at, at Leipzig, Tyler Adams, when he plays in a right defensive role, that's a role that we might define as a right back position if that was the United States team, but doesn't exist in Nagelsmann tactical system because he just sees Nagelsmann, Nagelsmann sees the game very different than Greg Behalda. So people have to get this, these concepts out of their heads. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> that's really interesting. And that's really good to remember that, yeah, one thing does not necessarily directly correlate to another one. So yeah, a right back quote-unquote position for Leipzig doesn't necessarily mean that Tyler Adams is going to come in and stay defensively deep and sit in a, a flat back four or anything like that. So I, I appreciate that point. I appreciate that perspective. Well, it's really interesting, and I've spoken to a lot of coaches about this um, because I recently had the – I was very lucky. I got to think of Mark Dos Santos from, from the Whitecaps, who I think is a very good tactical mind. I spoke to Jesse Marsh, and I recently spoke to Julian Nagelsmann, and all three conveyed this. They said, stop thinking about football as a piece of paper with names drawn onto it. Stop it. It doesn't work that way. You don't just draw people's names on a lineup. We like to have it in media because it's like, okay, well, this is what the tactical lineup looks like. Mm-hmm. That It doesn't work that way, right? And I think it's it's so interesting when you talk to these coaches, and that's why I love interviewing coaches. I prefer press conferences way over the mixed zone because coaches will actually tell you something really interesting about the game. And they all convey this. It's like, stop thinking about soccer as lineups drawn on a piece of paper. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, you know, you can't really translate it. Uh, you can't even translate one game to another. It's just, it's impossible. That that makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm going to have to think about that one in deeper detail because it is sort of hard to explain tactics and strategy on a podcast without relying on the shape but then you're right that using yeah. using a shape simply to describe what's happening can be sort of not necessarily disingenuous but can be a little bit misleading because it does then invite the oh he was definitely playing as a right back because he was vaguely in the area where you would expect a right back to be whereas that's not really the position he was playing or the role he was occupying so no that's that's a really interesting think perspective about it. 
think about when we draw our galaxy, mm -hmm. right? It's always going to be a two-dimensional picture. But the reality is it's not a two-dimensional picture. The same is the truth for the for the for a soccer field. It's never 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 two-dimensional. A game is never two-dimensional. So and those pieces are moving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Constantly with that, in flux. With that said, I'm going to ask you what may end up being a two-dimensional question here. And I've written down what I think your answers might be. I want to see how wrong I am. It's a hypothetical. If you were, say, taking over a club um, and you had the opportunity to hire uh, one current Bundesliga manager to, to, to coach your, your team, to manage your side, but you also had to sign or got to sign, depending on your perspective, one American currently playing in the Bundesliga or employed by a Bundesliga club, as is the case with, say, Chris Richards, who would the American be and who would the current manager be? Oh, I would... I can choose any manager for a club? Uh, yeah, in the Bundesliga, any Bundesliga and manager. I would definitely go with Nagelsmann. Okay. 100%. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely sign Tyler Adams because I can put him anywhere. All right. I, I, I guess Adams <laughs> would be your answer. I thought you might go Rosa, but Nagelsmann would have been my, my second guess. So I feel okay with my selections. <laughs> My final, final question for you. Uh, you mentioned that you were covering uh, Deadline Day uh, for Transfer Market. Uh, yeah. By the way, is it Transfer Market or is it Transfer Markt? What do you go with? So we are actually going with Transfer Markt okay. and, um, because that's, it's Drop the established yeah. brand name, right? Yeah. Um, we were thinking, we were always thinking in plans um, on how we're going to maybe streamline it for the U.S. Mark, market. But Marked it's for the U.S. market. Yeah. Yeah, marked. It's it's a it's a difficult right, mm -hmm. right? Because like it's such an established brand name, and how do you do you change it and adapt it? Um, but there's always things going on behind closed doors that I shouldn't really talk about. So <laughs> we 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 have thoughts, plans, ideas. Uh, we're only in the beginning of this this path, right? We, I mean, this is the first time that they hired someone full time for for the United States and Canada. So um, yeah. Just stay tuned, I guess. All right. Well, well uh, while we stay tuned for that, I wanted to ask, what was the, what was your most enjoyable or entertaining or captivating or whatever word you want to go with? What was the transfer rumor or transfer that actually happened that you found most intriguing or most interesting uh, on deadline day? Well, I definitely enjoyed that uh, Manchester United and their uh, under desperation. <laughs> found a guy in China that could sort of play as a striker. Um, yeah. I, I, oh, I, man. All I, right. I, well, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> As a United I, fan, I'm just going to go cry uh, and maybe drink. So thanks, Manuel. <laughs> um, yeah. It, I mean, the Premier League in general, um, I've always thought the money spent is just silly. Mm -hmm. But um, it's kind of like you give a bunch of teenagers cheat, co cheat codes for a football manager, <laughs> and that's what's happening. They they have a tendency to just sign names rather than players that fit a certain model. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. I mean, thankfully for them, they have a lot of money to waste because in any other European league, they should all get fired, right? If you were, yeah. if you if you were Bayern Munich and you would bring in some guy from China on the last minute because you couldn't find a striker, you're out of there. <laughs> Yeah, they don't really have that policy. Instead, you get promoted and probably get even more money is how it tends to work, at least with Manchester United. Maybe not with some other Premier League clubs, but certainly yeah, with United. Remarkable. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Manuel, Manny, Manu, Fate, uh, I appreciate you taking all the time to make sense of the Bundesliga. Uh, if people want to hear more from you, uh, how can they do that? If people want to read more from you, how can they do that? Yeah, so you can find all my content, obviously, on transfermarkt.us. Mm -hmm. I still write for Forbes. I still do... Uh 
a month for Forbes, usually on the Bundesliga. And you can you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Manuel Manuel Vef, M A N U E L V E T H. Um, and yeah, go check out our new US content on Transfermarkt. We're on Twitter as well. It's at TM underscore US, I believe. All right. And what about the, the podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have a gegenpressing podcast. That's mm. um, That will be tweeted. It's always tweeted on my account, but we also, um, of course, um, tweeted out at Football Grad Live. There we are. All right. Well, Manuel, thank you very much for taking all the time. Uh, it is greatly appreciated. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I always love talking about the Bundesliga. Yeah.